Welcome to this edition of the JNMP podcast. My name is Colin Mahoney and I'm the JNMP podcast editor. On this edition, we're discussing neurophysiological, imaging and other techniques to assess chemotherapy-induced peripheral neurotoxicity, or CIPN, in both the clinical and research setting. Joining me to discuss the paper is Dr. Susanna Park on behalf of the Toxic Neuropathy Consortium. Dr. Park is a senior lecturer in physiology at the University of Sydney. A very warm welcome to you, Susanna. Your paper explores a topic which is a very common problem for those treating cancers and it causes significant disability for patients. Yes, thank you, Colin. There are now over 32 million cancer survivors worldwide, thanks to dramatic improvements in cancer diagnosis and treatments. This is really a huge turnaround in the last 100 years, when cancer was almost invariably fatal. And this really means that we need to think critically about the long-term side effects of cancer treatments. One of these side effects is chemotherapy-induced peripheral neurotoxicity, or CIPN, and it affects some very commonly used chemotherapy agents, including taxanes, platinum-based compounds, vinca alkaloids, uh, and treatments such as thalidomide and bortezomib, which are used for hematological malignancies. And so really our paper was about evaluating what has been done in the use of these uh, neurophysiological and other techniques in terms of the best assessment tool for CIPN. Can you start by telling us about some of the neuropathological changes associated with CIPN? Sure. So CIPN is really an umbrella term, which includes a number of different neuropathological mechanisms. And the specific mechanism of toxicity are agent-specific and relate to the particular chemotherapies and their mechanisms of action. For example, the platinum-based compounds lead to DNA binding and, and mitotic arrest in cancer cells, and in the context of the nervous system, have been found to accumulate in dorsal root ganglia, potentially leading to DNA binding and cell death of the DRG neurons. Other chemotherapies, such as vinca alkaloids and taxanes, affect microtubule function, and these potentially affect exonal transport and, and disrupt the flow of essential proteins uh, from the cell bodies to the distal nerve terminals. However, it's important to note that the specific pathological processes that are operating in patients remain not fully resolved, and there's still much to learn about how these drugs produce peripheral neurotoxicity. Many listeners will regularly use nerve conduction studies, but what can conventional nerve conduction studies tell us about CIPN, and indeed, what are some of the limitations of these techniques? Sure. So nerve conduction studies are the gold standard for the diagnosis of peripheral neuropathy. And typically in CIPN across multiple agents, um, they reveal evidence of axonal large fiber sensory damage. Uh, with some agents, there can be motor involvement. Uh, however, this is less common. And really, uh, multiple studies have demonstrated that the careful and systematic use of nerve conduction studies can demonstrate progressive changes over the course of chemotherapy and can stratify patients into risk categories to highlight the risk of long-lasting toxicity in these patients. So nerve conduction studies remain a very important uh, tool. However, there are limitations for their use, including um, that they do not provide insight into damage to the smaller diameter sensory fibers. And also in a routine clinical setting, sometimes these techniques are not as feasible for routine clinical use in a busy oncology center than they might be in, in the research setting. Your paper provides a comprehensive overview of additional neurophysiological techniques used to study peripheral nerve integrity. Could you talk us through some of the potential benefits of these techniques? 
Absolutely. So some of these other techniques are designed to uh, probe more carefully the underlying basis for neurological dysfunction, including trying to examine uh, what the potential role of smaller sensory nerve fiber dysfunction might be in CIPN. So uh, different techniques to test autonomic function, uh, such as quantitative pseudomotor axon reflex testing uh, or quantitative sensory testing to examine a potential deficits to small fiber function have been examined in multiple studies. But the, the role of these techniques in a routine assessment still remains unclear. Um, however, you can demonstrate abnormalities in particular chemotherapy types. And there are other types of neurophysiological testing, including nerve excitability testing, which have demonstrated insights into potential pathophysiological processes with some chemotherapy types, um, but have not yet been translated to the routine clinical setting. So really, these newer techniques may have the potential to provide us with information about the mechanism of abnormalities of nerve function and which fibers are affected, uh, but not yet uh, translated to routine clinical practice. You also highlight a number of emerging non-neurophysiological investigations ranging from skin biopsies to imaging. Again, could I ask you to explain some of the advantages of these more novel techniques? Absolutely. Uh, so some of these techniques, uh, it's important to point out that for the majority of these techniques, less than 200 patients have been assessed uh, to date. So we really don't have great evidence about their use, uh, either in the clinical setting or uh, what information they might provide to us. But certainly more and more research is coming out, uh, particularly concerning the role of skin biopsies, uh, which is an emerging and exciting area of research. In terms of CIPN, there have not been very large-scale comprehensive studies undertaken yet, and similarly other approaches to examine small fiber function, uh, such as laser or heat-evoked potentials, uh, the use of corneal confocal microscopy. These typically remain limited to a handful of studies or case reports, so in future hopefully these techniques will be used in larger cohorts to give us more information about the potential role. Um, newer studies of nerve imaging techniques include uh, ultrasound and the use of magnetic resonance uh, neurography are also emerging. Uh, again, they've only been used in, in small numbers of patients, but there's some evidence that these techniques might be useful to provide visualization of, of the damage that occurs in patients. But obviously, um, this is not feasible in the routine clinical setting, more in, in the research setting. Finally, the Toxic Neuropathy Consortium makes some recommendations in the paper on the assessment of CIPN. Can you talk us through uh, some of these key recommendations? Absolutely. One of the key recommendations is the use of multimodal testing. So this is really involving a number of different strategies to provide the best evidence of the significance of changes in nerves and their impact on patients. So this would be using objective evidence of nerve dysfunction from nerve conduction studies and clinical examination, uh, along with more subjective evidence from patient-reported outcomes to provide a more complete picture of CIPN in patients. And really, uh, I guess one of the reasons that this review was put together was to provide a basis for a future uh, collaborative study in this area. So the Toxic Neuropathy Consortium is a special interest group of the Peripheral Nerve Society and that aims to bring together clinicians and researchers from different areas across the world to address the problem of CIPN and other forms of toxic neuropathy. And, and really, I think one of the big takeaways is that we need uh, larger international research efforts to be able to understand what are the best possible assessment measures for 
use in CIPN. Um, for example, there's a really wide variation in current clinical trials for potential neuroprotective strategies in CIPN. Uh, if you look on clinicaltrials.gov, currently only around 11% of current CIPN studies are using neurophysiological measures as outcome measures. And so there's really a lot more work to be done to standardize what the best outcome measures are for clinical trials and also to figure out what is the best way these techniques uh, can be used uh, in clinical practice. And this really will require a multinational research effort uh, to achieve the kind of um, significance and impact of this work. And hopefully in future, we can, we can work together with this collaborative research effort to identify the best assessment tools for CIPN in multiple contexts. Well, I want to thank my guest today, Dr. Susanna Park, a senior lecturer in physiology at the University of Sydney and member of the Toxic Neuropathy Consortium for providing such a comprehensive overview of chemotherapy-induced peripheral neurotoxicity. And remind our listeners that this paper is available freely to download at the JNNP website now. <laughs>